The following podcast contains adult language and may not be suitable for younger audiences. From Tommy Boy to Black Sheep and Just Shoot Me, David Spade helped define comedy in the 90s. In this episode of 92i Talks, he sits down with fellow comedian Colin Quinn to discuss his time on SNL, working with Chris Farley, and his new memoir, Almost Interesting. The conversation was recorded on October 25th, 2015, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Hey, boss. Well, let's get right to it. Um, so, yeah. I read the book, and by the way, I just zoomed right through it. It's a, it's a great read. It's a real page-turner? It is. And, um, you know, the first thing that, of course, occurred... What the hell's the matter? I'm just laughing and waiting for this question. All right, no, the first thing is, um, is the fact that uh, you grew up... It was rather a sad childhood, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sammy left early. Sammy, your father. Sammy, my dad, scrammed on us, yeah. He, he moved with you from to Michigan, for two hours on from Michigan. Yeah, we, born, in, born in Michigan, three boys, Andy, Brian, David. Took my mom out of college to move to Arizona so he could cheat on her in another state. I don't know, I guess he'd gone through Michigan and he wanted a fresh start, but he said he had a job there, so we all uh, moved over there and then he did not. And then uh, he left, so he, he, he sort of dumped us there. But it was just tougher because my mom didn't uh, was out of her last year of college, so she had to just do sales jobs, temp jobs, whatever, and then had the three kids, which is obviously a drag, and three boys, which is more horrible, I'm sure. And he was kind of a charming rogue, if I remember correctly. <laughs> right? Like he showed up back in your life over the years, and he was like used to do impressions of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always talked about my dad because it's that weird thing of like you want your dad around, but he was never around, and then. My mom would, uh, we'd wait for him, like, you know, back then, because I'm old, we had, a, like, a phone on the wall, so you couldn't text him, you couldn't, you didn't know where he was, you don't have a phone number. You have, like, an old phone number and a napkin, and you're like, they're like, he doesn't live here anymore. You're like, uh. So you had to just wait until he called you, and then he goes, I'm going to pick you up Friday. And uh, we'd be by the door, all of us, and then it'd be, like, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, my mom would go, all right, let's just order a pizza. And then he just wouldn't come, and then, like, Three months later, he'd do it, and then he was like a hero when he came over, like, oh, you're so great. And my mom would be leaning in a row with the cool cigarettes going, yeah, he's a real charmer, you know. Yeah. This guy's a real prince. And so, but we always thought he was a hero because we never saw him, and I guess we were trying to impress him or whatever. And then he started popping up in your life, and then your brother, yeah. like, then, uh, once you guys started to make it. Yeah, my brother, who's here tonight, he, uh, he, uh, it was, he's the middle brother, I'm the youngest, and then there was Brian. So Brian sort of was older in the time, and he got to see the stepdad. And like, he saw more stuff that I didn't, and uh, I wasn't privy to, thank God. So he was a little more shaken by it, I feel. And then uh, Andy and I were doing all right, but we didn't get in as much trouble. But when we got a little older, yeah, he started popping by. Andy uh, was older than me, and I started seeing him because I started doing comedy around Arizona. And when you comedy, so I was sort of a, I got a little local whiff of celebrity just because I was a guy. And so he started coming around more. And then he goes, we should get a place together because uh, you have nowhere to live. <laughs> and so I moved in with him in a one bedroom with like two single beds. And uh, he goes, if there's a tie in the door, get lost. You know what it means? <laughs> and so I had to like, if he brought chicks home, you know, I had to wait. And so, uh, so I just uh, basically live with him and he's popped by the comedy clubs and 
started tabs and would milk off that for a while, oh, you know. Man. And then, and then uh, Andy, I think he uh, he was hanging out with Andy. Andy was doing well in advertising, and he'd hit him up. And Brian wasn't doing as well, and he would not hit up Brian or just even hang out with him, which was rude. And then we got a little older, and the more I got known in that world, he would hang out. And then Andy and Katie started Kate Spade, and so and then the, he would was another thing to brag about. So he, I think he'd skip Andy, go, you know, my daughter Kate Spade, just to <laughs> just to skip the clutter, you know what I mean? Like I don't want to go through the whole thing. Well, Andy, they got married, so and he go, uh, and this is uh, you don't, you know, David Spade, I don't. All right, I'm out of here. But uh, usually something would click, and uh, and he would get in with the gal. So that was his sort of s- story, and it was odd because. We were always trying to uh, be friends with them as we got older. This story doesn't sound like a comedy so far in the book, no. but I just—it's like—it's like, it's like I just a funny... got a text that was like, "Move it along, get to the jokes." It's like a funny Angela's ashes, really. This story. It's really. My story. We're talking the Ninety Second Street Y literary references. I know. Listen. It was go for that kind of stuff in L.A., but you know, I knew you guys would get it. My the point st- is this, sir. The thing is. It starts that my story sort of intersects with the Malala story because it's the same. If you would just wait it out, I'm getting to that part. We're like, it's, that's why our books aren't the same week. Just, well, they bump. Not to not to add to the uh, tragedy and the Angela's Ashes themes, then the stepfather comes in. Another pretty sad story. <laughs> I don't know why we're going? Hey, to, you yeah. wrote it. I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's good. Then there was Tommy Boy. Um, now. We, uh, my stepdad came in, who was a nice guy, took care of the family, and my mom was sort of, not settling, but, you know, she was very good about not going f- for, like, the uh, great-looking guys all the time. She's more personality-based, and in this case, <laughs> more job-based. Uh, he was a doctor, and he, and he was cared about the kids, and we had no one to care for us, and so he hung, he was in there, but a little, a little screwy. Back then, he was in the, uh, in the Vietnam War, I think, Andy? He was, he's, he, was a do, he was a medic. So he had like a certain PSD, uh, what is it called? PTSD. Yeah, 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 sure. And, uh, <laughs> or just depression. And he came back and he was definitely uh, off. And we didn't know what it was. Back then you'd say, he's acting a little loopy. And the uh, two cases of Coors Tallboys a day added to the loopiness. But he just got like that. And we didn't know. We just thought it was normal. We, who knows? And uh, and then he eventually got a little worse along the way, and she had to leave him and take us away, and then he wound up uh, taking his own life. And uh, we were just talking today that I didn't know that his father killed himself and his father and his brother. And so, by the way, the red flag store, when I visited, I don't know why my mom didn't see this coming, because she should have said, uh, roughly how many found family members have killed themselves. He's like, wait, one, two, three. That's like first date where you're like, all right, well, I'm just gonna. So, but I guess she never asked that. I guess no one would, but uh, live and learn. So, so he, so uh, he was, that was sort of weird growing up. I was around 15 and then uh, got into comedy like right after high school. No, I go into the thing where I go, oh, then you're going into comedy. Didn't you just watch fucking Inside the Actors Studio? Or oh, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to jump ahead if people are I know, you, he's back. uncomfortable. Meanwhile... The first name of the book was going to be Boo Hoo. No, the first couple of chapters... 
But it's it's great. Re- I mean, it's well, powerful. At least, reading. at least. I just think it's unnecessary to suddenly bring up the guy's unattractiveness when you're talking about a, a PTSD victim of suicide. Yeah. <laughs> it came out of nowhere. Thank well, God that's like, the book. I feel it's like mom took one for the uncool. team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So then. You're supposed to puff me up. I am, but you know, you've made it. There was just like the elephant in the room. Come on. <laughs> um, Is that what everyone's thinking? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So then high school, you're getting a little popular high school. You're starting to get a little witty. Starting to get the David Spade. Yeah. That sense of humor where you're under the, under the radar. Kind I, of was more, I was more sort of into studying in school and sort of hiding uh, in chess club, you know, spelling bee champ. Read 47 books in fifth grade. I don't like to talk about it. Um, <laughs> Literally say, has that line in the book. It's kind of weird. I read 47 books. <laughs> Great. I know the number. And then I, I was... Uh, Moved ahead two grades in math and reading. I don't like to talk about that either. But I just want to get it out there. I remember that and, in the book, too. Yeah, I know. Well, it says about the book guy. So, anyway, you guys are cool. What it was was... Uh, I'm going to talk to you. But Andy, we were both skateboarders. So I was skating, but I was sort of living this life, which I sort of hype up, I guess, of being this nerdy guy. But I had all the components of a cool guy. Like, I had white, blonde, long hair, and I... Quicksilvers, and I was tan back then. I had some shit going on. But then Andy was super cool. So when we got to high school, all the schools merged, and everyone liked him. And uh, and then uh, they were like, oh, you're his brother. Oh, you're cool, I guess. And then right. it was that fast. Like, all the people from my school were like, wait, he's a, he's a nerd. He's a geek. You don't get it. But Because they merged. So they were trying to get the word out, like, you're making a mistake. <laughs> and uh, I was like, no way. And I'm... I took the new guy, the new friends, and never looked back. And so then I got into school, and and always thought I could go to any college I wanted because I was always in fifth grade going, I'll go to Princeton maybe. I really, literally thought I was had all these at my fingertips. And then I got dumb so fast in high school. Okay, John Hughes, what I was trying to go for <laughs> was how you were sense, how you were kind of like the witty guy though. You know what I mean? Like you were the under the breath. Oh when yeah, he, throw away. Like jokes. you started to develop, you already people started to notice you were funny. Yeah, I think I was just saying it in classes quietly because it doesn't really count as a joke. I thought if you just sort of say it straight, and then instead of going ya da da, there was those kind of class clown types. Right. But I wasn't really like that, so that got me a little bit of attention or at least you know interest. So when I ultimately went into stand up, that was. That was sort of my... And you started to notice that you were, like, getting responses from everybody? Well, I, I, I left... Because you're known, sorry, but you're known among all comedians as this underrated... Like, what did Chris Rock say on Grown Ups? He goes, yeah, if, if you wrote, you'd be dangerous. Oh, yeah. The spade is like this guy that's known as brilliantly, make everybody laugh. Oh, he but, said, uh, if, yeah, if you're, uh, you're the laziest comedian. He goes, I'm lucky you're lazy. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, I, I finished... No, I finished high school, and then everyone went off to school, and I couldn't get into a good school. So I was at community college across the street, and I was like, oh, this is no fun. Because all my friends left. That's the funnest part about school. There's always someone to hang out with. And I go, oh, and then I saw a comedy uh, in the newspaper, a comedy night. So I just went and tried five minutes for no reason. I mean, back then, there was no big Arizona comedy scene. There was no one I knew did it. There still isn't. Go ahead. Back then, the Arizona Cup. I gave you a, a look, like oh, you did? Tim Conway or something. I thought it was my laugh getting the laugh. Shit. I jumped up. But go ahead. So uh, 
Tell them what the say what the guy said the first night. Oh, that's first a- night. That's that's okay. So when I go on, I do crummy jokes. You know that I don't know if any everyone else did or whatever. And uh, I do a few jokes, and then I go, oh, that one was better in the mirror. Uh, and then I do my next joke, and then I'd say something. And so I get off, and the guy goes, well, you were horrible. And I go, oh, I can't do it again? He goes, no, nah, you can come back. He goes, you know, actually, what you said between the jokes was funnier than your jokes. Uh, you should do that. And uh, that summed up everything. The that style, was, it was your style. That was yeah. my whole style for the rest of my career, and I didn't even know this guy summed it up in 10 seconds. He, right. he stumbled into it, and I, I, I didn't listen, but I eventually... It's good. You know, I was watching comics on, on, you know, not Letterman, but like Carson and stuff, and I'd see, you know, Paul Reiser and Leno and Seinfeld and everybody, Kevin Nealon, and I sort of, Dennis Miller, I was like a research paper at the beginning because you, you, you pick styles, or I mean, I did. Like, they were so funny. I'd sort of zone in on, okay, that's what I think is good. And then you get your own style after a while, but for a while there, I was just trying to sort of copy what was working or whatever that I liked. And then you get your own thing, and hopefully, right. And then so then you started to, you know, you went to college for a little while. You started becoming like a big uh, fish in this world. And then you moved to L.A. Mm-hmm. Well, you went to L.A. and you lived on the couches of several comedians. Yeah. And, and you would you auditioned the Improv that went. To, oh, first you went to the Comedy Store. Yeah, Louis Anderson. You got almost me choked in. to death. Yeah. I, Louis Anderson, Anderson got you in the Comedy Store, and I did a horrible audition. I thought it was all right, but he goes. We don't at this point. Mitzi says no. Uh-huh. And then uh, that was my only shot. You have two shots in LA, improv or comedy store, to be like a working comedian. And then I couldn't get those going. And uh, so I got it. the funny boys, this comedy team got me in at the improv. And I was just from Arizona, I was 20. And uh, they said, uh, yeah, okay, call in for spots. But I didn't even picture that happening. So I go, what do you mean? They go, well, I guess you got to live here. Right. So I went home, got my old Volvo, and, or I got it, yeah, I drove out or something. And then. Uh, and then I just started calling in, and that's tough because I have no money. I'm staying on this guy's couch, and I get, you know, 25 bucks a spot, and I might get two a week. And so, I wasn't really raking it in. No, but what I'm saying is this: Every, <laughs> everybody. Uh, well, but what I'm saying. <laughs> but what I'm saying is the the other interesting thing. Yeah. Was that you? <laughs> That you, uh, that you, the reason, because you're so nice to all your friends and kind of like you're generous with people. Yeah. And I was like, oh, when I read the book, I was like, oh, people are nice to you. Yeah. And take care of you, and that's why you take care I of I think so, you. because I was always uh, thinking, I told my friend's dad, or not his dad, his brother's really rich back then, and uh, whatever really rich was to me, but I go, hey, I'm going out there. I just needed a break. I go, if you would get me a shitty car and a shitty apartment, I will. Um... <laughs> you tell me to wrap up my story? I thought she was going like this. I don't know. Um, it's really strange. She's like, heard this one. So I said I'd give you uh, 15% of everything I make forever. I had a little oh, yeah, contract right. laid out. <laughs> and he called me a few years ago and said, all right, I'll take you up on it. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I couldn't get anyone to help me out. And then I got a comedian lent me six grand when I got out there. When I moved, I did that Police Academy movie, which was Lucky. And I came back, and uh, I had 10 grand I cleared, and then I, got, I bought a car with it, and it got stolen the first day, right. first hour. No insurance, nothing, so that was bad. And then uh, I was back to zero again. I go, oh my God, I was just before I left the movie, this is exactly, I didn't have a car, no money. And so I borrowed six grand from a comedian, and then I had a year to pay it off, and of course I couldn't, I had about three. So I borrowed six from another one, 
and then another one, and I and the last one I'm going to pay off when I get a little bass going, uh, maybe probably end of this year. But uh, I, I got everyone paid off eventually, but I thought that was nice. But I didn't know any rich people, and that sucked. And so, and now when I know some people, I'm like, God, where were you? Because I would always need like 500 bucks, anything. So when I get nickel and dime like that, I usually will help people out because yeah. I go, uh, if, if they seem like good people. So then you got Police Academy, which you discuss in the book, like it's some amazing Police Academy 4. <laughs> I thought they stopped after three, as most people probably do, but... Um, and then you started to get... You got a manager, you had a little heat, and uh, you bring up some bizarre pilot of Beans Baxter, which nobody gives a shit about. The whole time I read the book, I'm like, nobody knows what this is. I, I drop it like it's, the, like it's ER. Right. Yeah. And he's like, and then people said it was good. I should have took it. It's like, all right, let it go. You had a fine career. <laughs> well, it but, was, um, but yeah, you yeah. started to get heat. It was 30 grand, so I... Move out there. I'm getting spots at the improv, and there's always someone in the audience. Like, that's yeah, the it was part. a big deal back then. It was like the hottest, yeah, there's all casting the casting people, people. And, there, yeah. and, and there's actors. So they go, I, I was 20, I looked about 15. So they go, We need a skateboard kid, and they didn't have a script. Thank God, and still don't. You saw it. And uh, <laughs> so they go, Can you just come in and improv about skateboarding and just be funny? I was like, Oh my God, the only two things I can do. <laughs> so I was talking skateboard lingo, and they go, Oh, you're perfect. We don't have a script yet. So they hired me, and then I went out there. Bobcat introduced me to a director. And now I had heat, and I didn't know it. And they're like, when you get back, there's going to be so many things. Everyone wants to meet you. So this director goes, well, I have this show. Would you want to just read for it right here? And I go, sure. I just started reading it. I don't know. Right. And he goes, no, like, read it to me like you're acting in it. And I go, huh? I don't know what he's talking about. So he goes, well, we can work on it. We can, we'll get you there. He was so blinded by this heat I had. So I get back, and he goes, uh, they, I went to ICM, and they offered me that uh, a half-hour show. Coming. That's all I've ever wanted to do. And they go, I think we should turn this one down. It's not good enough for you. I go, His managers told him that. Yeah, my, my new agents. And I go, what the fuck? It's, it's a, uh, my own show. I don't See, care. he's still pissed. Yeah, I'm still mad. Because <laughs> it was like 30 grand. I had no money. And they go, no, we gotta, we're going to get you one of the big networks. Big deal. No one knew at this point I could not act. Right. So, and I didn't tell anyone. I didn't really know. So they go, pass on it. I agree. The guy's so mad at me. Like, you don't do anything. Well, how are you passing on this? <laughs> then I go to pilot season. So I audition for 30 pilots, no callbacks. Everyone say I'm horrible and I can't act. And then my agency drops me. Yeah. So I go out and um, I'll do it for you. So <laughs> I go out and then I, I have to get another agent, smaller one. And I, it took me two to three years to get back again where I could get some... Uh, Audition. Yeah, well, that's what happens. You burn out. You, I did the same Lost thing. My heat. You burn out. You heat. You get heat. And if you walk in and just sabotage it in various ways, you're out for good. Yeah, I fucked it all. And then, but so you still do it stand up though. You're getting more gigs, right? Mm -hmm. You're starting to make a living. And then what happened with the SNL? Uh, I like. I'm gonna go like this because I promise. Oh yes, tell the story of how this. Uh, oh, I hurt my this back. Happens. I hurt my neck. Yeah. So I hurt my His whole neck life. He has to sit like this because of this story. I hurt my neck in high school. I was doing. Uh, I was doing um, a, a dance number to Macho Man on a talent show, and <laughs> Andy was in it with me. And at the end of it, I do a, a backflip just to show off. Andy and I could both do standing backs because we were in gymnastics. A lot of red flags in the story. So <laughs> I, go, I go to do a, a backflip before the show at the cafetorium, and I do a backflip, and the guy goes, I go, don't spot me. And it was like this, and I landed right in my face. 
I missed my feet, you know, where you're supposed to hit them. And I land all my weight on my face, popped up, teeth are bleeding, nose is bleeding. I I'm like, hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> and then they go, are you okay? I go, no. I go in the back. They get a doctor from the house my mom. I don't know who my mom is for an hour. I'm awake. And the doctor goes, oh, he's a bit, he's a bit shook up. And I go, okay, that's not a medical term. Are you from gun smoke? He didn't know what was going on. I go, if this was today, it would be a category 2000 concussion. If it was the NFL, they would stop the game, chopper me out, the other team would be on one knee, you know. So, but this guy's like, he's a bit rattled. He got his bell rung. I'm like, these aren't, you know, this, anyone can say that. But you know, we don't have insurance in the old days. And so I, I knew you weren't supposed to get hurt. You know, you sort of knew in the back of your head, like if I got hurt, all right, go, I'm sick, mom. Should I go to the doctor? She goes, no, no, you're fine. And it was basically a you're fine policy around the house. And uh, if I broke my leg, we'll pull a Bactine on. There you go. Bactine just bought her time. It did nothing. And so I'm back there scared. And then the doctor goes, uh, well, you better take him to the emergency room. And she's like, oh my God, of course. And then he walks away and she goes, Davey, do you wanna to go to the hospital? Or Pizza Hut. <laughs> so I never went to the doctor. I went to Pizza Hut and played Asteroids and then pulled my teeth forward, but it got rocked. So ever since then, it's been like troubling. I don't think the stress of the world is helping it, but uh, <laughs> it's bad enough when people go, my shoulders are tight. But when it already started wrong, I think it, makes it a tiny bit worse, but it, it is a drag. It's, yeah. it's boring. But, um, so, okay, so then, um, so you get this thing, you've, you've had it ever since. Yeah, yeah, it's still not great. Yeah. But then you go, um, you go to New York, you're doing stand-up, you're going on the road a lot, you're paying your dues. I remember you were like the first guy that was kind of from out there that went to New York and did all the shit Jersey gig one yeah. night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody else would do that. Yeah, they were tough. I'd want to, well, you go, you take a, uh, I, had a I had a couple props back then. Um, my mom's blue honeymoon suitcase with her initials on it. And I would take that in the subway, and then I'd go to the improv, and then you meet a comic, and they would drive you to a gig in Jersey or wherever for like an hour away or whatever. And I'd get 75 bucks. Then I'd come back with the guy and then take the subway. And, and where would you stay? I stayed at my buddy's uh, place in uh, Columbia. He went to Columbia. So I stayed on his couch, which was a love seat and an ottoman. So sideways, my feet. The reason you don't see this position in mattress commercials because <laughs> it's not comfortable at all. And so, uh, but I did that every night and then after a month I would clear 500. So I'd go back to LA. But anyway, I did those for a while and then finally got the HBO Young Comedian special. That's when things started to get better. And then Lauren saw that, brought me Schneider and Tom Kenny out for an audition. We did it at the uh, Catch Rising Star probably, right? What's that? Catch Rising Star, is yeah. that what they have them? And then, I bombed, Rob bombed, Tom Kenny killed, and uh, they took me and Rob. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, Dennis Miller, before I went out, thank God, he goes, Spade, you don't, you don't want to kill too hard, you know? They, they don't like it if you're like a polished road act, some hacky sh piece of shit. I go, okay, thanks. Oh. <laughs> so don't do good was the, you know. Right. Yeah. But they look at your written jokes, which helps, so that helped me right. because I thought those weren't bad, but... We got on, and then and you I got hired as a writer, writer performer, right. which I did not want. I wanted to just be on. I wanted the fucking hard shit over. Like have nine guys write for me, right. and then when they go, you write for yourself, write for Dana, write for Mike Myers. I'm like, oh, 
And that's, that's when you realize you're not that good. You got to write for someone else's persona. It's, it's way harder. Tell us the, uh, the, the first big sketch was The Assistant. Was that it? Or Bye Bye? Oh, uh, like the, first one the that, one that people knew, probably the receptionist, yeah. The receptionist. So before he does the receptionist, he has his new character, the N and you are. Yeah. And it was based on Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze's a uh, publicist. I went to the writer's room. They all host walks around so you can talk to him Tuesday night. He's sitting there alone. I walk in the writer's room. I get an arm in front of me. I go, oh, hey. She goes. His assistant. She goes, uh, yeah, the assistant to Patrick Swayze goes, what, what can I do for you? And I go, uh. Oh, I just wanted to uh, talk to Patrick. She goes, right, and you are? <laughs> and I go, oh, uh, David Spade? And she goes, right, and this is regarding. <laughs> and I go, a sketch? She goes, and he would know you because? I go, what? I go, I'm a writer on the show. He goes, ah, uh, yeah, it's just nuts right now. Uh, <laughs> I go, nuts? He's reading People magazine. <laughs> and so I. I, she goes, can you give him some time just to get his head together? So I walk away and I go, God, there's a sketch there. But I wasn't, I wasn't good at thinking of that concept and like, those weren't jokes to me. That was just funny. And it took me a long time. Conan was trying to help me to say this a concept, but that took me a year to write that because I called Lauren in LA on the phone and I go, is Lauren Michaels there? And they go, and you are? And I go, fuck, again? And then this is regard, he would know you through, uh, and then I go, okay, this, that person can be a sketch. That's funny enough. And then uh, wrote that one up. Until the David Bowie part. Oh, and then David Bowie uh, was the musical guest. he was trying to get on, you know, yeah. he's still trying to get on. He needed like something to Because unless on, you, if you, get you, fired, you know. Yeah, if you don't have a good, you know, sketch or a reason to keep you, they get rid of you and you get the new guy. And I was like, shit, time's running out. So they go, David Bowie's the musical guest. I go, I'll try to put him in the sketch because it might be an easier, sneaky way to do it. Because everyone knows who David Bowie is. Right. I wouldn't recognize him, blah, blah. So they send it to him. And then I get a call in that little you know, mailbox, NBC yellow thing that says David Bowie, call him. I'm like, so I, I go home. I wait all the way to get home. And then I go, by the way, no plan. Just all this extra time and I have no plan of what to say to him. I go, they go, I go, is Bill Squankmire, whatever his fake name was. And then he goes, hello. And I go, hey. So I go, hey, David Spade, relax, don't be nervous. He goes, yeah. I tried to be funny right away, it was gross. And then he goes, I love this sketch, so funny. It's just a great attitude. I've seen this a million times, I can't wait to be in it. I go, oh my, oh my God, thank you so much. And he goes, uh, one, one tweak, I'd play the receptionist. Do you want to play me in it? And I go, wait, what? Wait, you play my part? And he goes, yeah, yeah, well, that's the funny part. Like, I don't, I don't want to play myself. And I go, oh, oh, wait. Oh, that's different. Uh, he goes, it's not that big a deal. You just switch parts. And then you could play me, and I could show you how to do it, and I could give you one of my outfits. I go, first of all, here's one of my heroes, and now I can get on the show as a writer but I can't do it. And I go, I can't, I, I don't want, I can't do it. And he was like, you don't want to do it. And I go, no, and he goes, oh, well then, what are we talking about? All right, talk to you later. And hung up and I was like, oh, now he doesn't like me. <laughs> In two seconds. And then I go, I just got to wait. And so I saw him later that week and I said, it's just like a Wayne's World thing, like not that big, but I just want to have my own thing. And he goes, oh, okay, he understood. But then I finally got on with MC Hammer 
at the five to one last sketch of the show. And it worked enough there that we did it again with Roseanne and then they put that first sketch up. And then maybe that was it. Maybe they did it one more time. And that was yeah. it. So we got lucky, you know, three and then that, that saved my job a little bit for a while. Um, yeah. And what about, uh, what was the next one, Bye bye What was the next like? Uh, next big one, uh, probably Hollywood Minute and then bye bye So uh, there weren't that many, now that you say it. There was, uh, <laughs> I mean, one after bye bye Well, you were also doing the movies in between, right? Right, like, right, right. Yeah. How did that happen? You, were, you felt like you were barely on the show because well, they brought all your friends back. Well, and one of those ones I didn't say was two weird things happened. Actually, the good stories aren't in it. Um, aren't in the book. No, there's, there's two little tidbits. I told you one backstage that you said was, uh, you were glad it wasn't it. But this one I think is, this one I think isn't bad. I did a Hollywood Minute like, uh, oh, I didn't even do a Hollywood Minute yet. So I just did maybe receptionist. I was just on the show as like a little pipsqueak. And I got a call and I was getting what? 900 a week as a writer, 1500 if I got on that first year. So after the first year, I got a call coming in the second year, uh, middle of the second year. Hey, they want you to do a, a Pepsi commercial for the Super Bowl. I was like, are you shitting me, me? No auditions? Nope. They know you're on SNL, they need a young kid, sort of like a Michael J. Fox type, come on. I go, oh fudge, okay. I go, it's unreal, 250 grand. Huh. Oh my God. Uh, uh, uh. So I go, <laughs> I tell my manager and they go, yeah, we just, you know, we gotta run it by Lauren as a courtesy, but this is unbelievable news. I go, oh, uh, uh. and then, uh, uh, that night. Yeah, Lauren says no. Sorry. Lauren <laughs> says no. Because in those days, a commercial was not like now. It was like a little bit like... Yeah, oh. I was like, it's not what we do. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not there yet. I go, what? 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 Yeah. Didn't get it at all. I was like, why? What? Why? You're taking all that away? I freaked out. <laughs> then, did Hollywood Minute like four times. But wait, tell out the first time you find your voice at Hollywood Minute. Oh, yeah, Hollywood, man, I was just still couldn't get on the show, and I was doing, uh, you mean reading, I was reading magazines? Yeah, and you were like... Reading magazines, Bob Odenkirk's there, uh, whoever's there from the show, writers, before the writers' meeting, and I'm just looking through the magazine, shitting on everyone. You know how you do, like, you just read this, and I go, look at this idiot, okay. And then, you know, these two are together, well, he's gay, so whatever. And then, you know, <laughs> and, and then he goes, why don't you just do that? Just try to think of a way to be like, say that. And right. Bob Odenkirk said Yeah, that. and we try to think of a sketch, and then I, he goes, maybe just update is easier. Oh, you getting some calls? Everything all right? No, I'm just making sure. Right. I want to check my notes. I'm okay. prepared for this fucking so, thing. So, so uh, I do it, and it works out all right. But you don't know this part. After three Hollywood minutes, they call me to dinner in, uh, or to lunch in LA with Lauren, Bernie Burlstein, and Brad Gray. And who were my managers, but also Lauren's and a bunch of SNL people. And they go, um, you know, Letterman's leaving. And I was like, oh, I know. I don't even think I got on when he was on NBC. And I go, oh, I know, I'm so bummed. They go, he's going to CBS. Uh, we want you to take over for Letterman at NBC. And I go, you are shitting me. I can't even get on this fucking show that I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, million dollars a year? We'll start you. I think they've gone to Shanling and Dana. So. I don't care. I mean, third, but still, still miracle. I'm like, Letterman's show, be the host of it. And they go, yeah, and I go, I couldn't believe, I go, oh my God, and then I go, no. And they go, what do you mean? I go, nah, I don't do a talk show. Uh, that'd be hard every day. I go, I, I'd like to do a sitcom or some comedy. I don't, 
I don't know if I'm a talk show host. They were like baffled. They go, by the way, this is them taking a swing and me saying no. So now it's the third person. So now they really fucking hate me. So they're like, okay, this lunch never happened. All right, um, you really don't want to do it. And we all three for sure do not understand what you're saying. You don't want to do it. And your reasons mean nothing. And I go, nah, I don't want to do it. It sounds like a drag. And they're like, I'll go back to 1500 a week. So I go to the valet and Brad goes, Two million a year? And I go, nah. Couldn't believe, I, I still look back, oh, but it just wasn't my whole life thing to do a talk show. I feel like that's the end. Once you do that, that's it. And I wanted to try acting or try this. I didn't know if I'd do it. But there was still, when I was 26, I go, I still have a few swings, like whatever, whatever. And that's just the end. You just do a talk show for 20 years or a year, and then you're done if you're bad. So I don't regret it. I just. I was shocked they would uh, think of me. They go, you're sort of new, and you did this, you've got a little attitude on the show, and Hollywood Minute's sort of working. So that was uh, flattering. And uh, I know you're thinking of 50 stories I could have taken out of the book to put that one in. Is that yeah. No, I was just thinking how you said do a talk show at the end one year or two years, and then it's the end. But I did one many years ago. <laughs> it kind of was the end, but um, <laughs> what I'd like to add, so then you do these in the between. Well, he's still, first of all, did you turn, was that before the Tommy Boy? Okay, and then came Tommy Boy. Then that, that summer, uh, Lauren said, let's write a movie, how you and Chris are at the office, so. And you uh, weren't even on the show that much. No, Chris but you, was but obviously. But he felt like you acted like a star by turning down Letterman, so I might as well treat, <laughs> he treat goes, the guy like a gen, you probably get respect. Yeah, <laughs> he thought I was like a made guy now. Yeah. He's, so I say, uh, arf, arf, of course, I'll do it. Well, wait, they, you and him were friends and you kind of had a... Yeah, we were on the office. We so were, Lauren noticed or somebody... That's knows. where Lauren's smart. He goes, you guys, whatever you do together is sort of funny. He laughs at you and you make fun of him and, and uh, you just, just walk around the office in circles and that's fun. Yeah, I wouldn't and phrase so, it... I wouldn't well, just phrase it, that's where Lauren's smart. You know, the guy's known as one of the legendary uh, empresarios of comedy, so... Got, yeah. <laughs> well, that's his thing. We didn't just one sign thing. off on him. <laughs> Sign off on this one thing. He Sign did. off on Lauren. That's where he, that's where he is small. That's where Lauren that got me. Yeah. He, <laughs> he won me over with that. So uh, anyway, so I say, of course, I'll do it. So Bonnie and Terry Turner were staff writers. They wrote up the idea, which two guys selling brake pads. I'm glad I didn't have to pitch that idea. <laughs> who's buying that? You know, right. who's like, we have to have that. So two guys sell brake pads in Ohio. Then what happens? <laughs> we're like, that's it. Then we do sell them at the end. <laughs> I go, don't tell me anymore, we're in. Uh. <laughs> so I, we do that one, and Fred Wolf came in and uh, fixed it, and we wrote it on the fly, went to Toronto. It was getting, it was supposed to be in the summer, but as we were doing fixes and rewrites and scouting, it got pushed to August. So now when the show starts, we go, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live on Saturday, 1 a.m. fly to Toronto, shoot Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Fly back for read through on Wednesday. I'd like to stop this story because even when I read it, the book and I've actually lived it, I was like, oh. No, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just walking right. you through it. Fine. I'm saying it in a good thing. Just to give you what. <laughs> I know. I just didn't want yeah, you to. Yeah, it was a sob story. Sell it to the crowd like, hey, you know, Bailey's sleeping on those. Well, because I had a doorman <laughs> at my building and he goes, how are you, Mrs. Spade? And I go, uh, oh, pretty good. And then I'd come in at like, you know, 7 a.m., just got back from Toronto. I gotta be up in two hours. And he's like, yeah, how's it going? I go, good, good. And he goes, oh, I go, you don't wanna hear? And he goes, you can talk to me. You know, his name was Kenny. He goes, 
I'm your friend too, you know? I feel like we're buddies. I go, uh, what's, what's nagging you? I go, I go, Kenny, God damn it. I go, we do the show, we get off at 1 a.m. We fly to Toronto, he goes, movie and a TV show must be rough. And I go, I'm back here pissing in a bottle and I watch a two inch screen of Alice every night. That's my, so keep going. So you were saying, I go, but he hooked me in, he kept saying. That's good. You can tell me. So I got, so you him, got him fired. But the, <laughs> oh, what happened to Kenny? <laughs> oh, he's gone. But then you said that you, didn't ex- you guys didn't expect this movie to be this giant. It was like a big, it was a giant hit. It was sort of a medium hit back then. Open number one, but it was uh, ultimately made 34 million, which... Today would be about, right. I don't know, 35. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not good at switching it. Uh, but it was a nice enough hit to where they saw some potential and they were like, all right, let's do another one. Like, let's build on that. And then the video was where they made a killing. So it went to like VHS. And uh, that's when they used to make a lot of money on VHS. So they told me it made 50 million or 100 million on video, which I'm sure are lies, but uh, I tell everyone that uh, in case it's true. And then. And then Black Sheep came up, and that was a little tougher to do. And uh, we had a different director, and it was just that got really muddied. And uh, I still liked the movie, but it was it was just not as fun. It wasn't as uh, great, as, or, or to me, as good as the first one. But you know, whatever. And then you try not to make it sad again. Was that I know? I wasn't making it sad. But what about? Uh, oh, look at this. Where does this time go? The, uh, <laughs> I just want to make sure we're not going to. Oh my God! It's a Rolex. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> but you also do it stand-up this whole time too, right? I was doing. Uh, I mean, you yeah, did a yeah, very yeah. underrated stand-up special, if I may say. Oh, that's nice. But, uh, yeah. It was a great special. Um, well, uh, thank you. I did one about ten years ago, and I did one recently, and it's still fun to do stand-up because that's challenging to, to still be. Uh, someone's coming in. I hear somebody. Yeah. Is it Skippy? Um, so that's, that's Skippy, by the way, was his assistant. Yeah. You that's want to right. tell that story? I don't know if you wanted to tell that story. No, I don't oh. care. It's in there. It's almost time for the Q&A. Yeah. The Q&A is all right here. You don't get to say anything. We did them all. You already wrote them down. What do you uh, mean? Right? Don't they write them down? Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess I read the qu- Oh, yeah. I thought they asked, but No, they wrote them and then, okay. All right. Skippy. So go ahead. I'll tell the Skippy one? Tell the Skippy story if you don't mind. Quickly. For those of you that don't know. I had an assistant. You know, six two, three hundred pounds. He's my buddy. Met him on Tommy Boy. He worked for the director. Right. Nice guy. You knew him. Yeah. Sweetheart. Uh, and then one night, uh, he sort of flipped out. Three years of working every day, every day, no problems. And did a bunch of cola. I didn't know it. And at five a.m., I wake up. He's standing in my doorway, and I don't know who's there. So you know, you think someone broke in. You're like, huh? But then someone is there. Right. It's always they're never there, but you go, oh my god, I thought someone was there. He's like, <laughs> and like oh god damn, there is someone literally in the doorway shadow. And I go, oh Jesus. And then uh, he goes, um, hey, uh, you, what's up? I'm like, what's up? I go, is that Skippy? Is that you? I go, what's going on? He goes, oh, the alarm went off. They called me. I go, they called you. Then I sit up. I go, you know, I didn't even uh, turn the alarm on, sorry. And he punches me, hits me with a stun gun, 
and then I hit the bed and I roll off the other side somehow, and there's already blood. And I go, "What are you? What are you doing? What are you freaking out?" And then uh, he's like, "This 100% there to kill me." So he comes up, grabs me, throws me down again. My shirt rips off. I can't get to the back door. This is what you think when you have guns or when you have like, "I'll get out this way." Back door. I couldn't even get one second to it. I had to run that way. I'm like this. I don't know where I'm going. Open the garage. There's a gate to my house, mansion. And so <laughs> there's a, a push code, you know, and I don't have time to go beep, beep, beep. Even if I do that, who's going to get me? You know, oh, sorry. sorry. Too long? It's important. Oh, Jesus. Shit. Hey, these are my clothes. Okay. So I'm sorry, too long, but then uh, he, he, he beats me up out there, and then I get some punches, and he drops the stun gun. So I rush in, slide under the bed, and get the shotgun, and then I go looking for him. And uh, he's the only person who knew I'd load a shotgun under the bed. So he was going to, the cop said he was stun gunning me so he could get the gun to kill uh, me and him together. Oh. And so and then he left, he ran out, and they couldn't find him. He took 100 Tylenol PMs and tried to kill himself. <sighs> and they found him, and uh, he lived happily ever after. Yeah. Yeah, he never went to jail. He worked. No, you never pressed charges on him. No. Like, uh, I was scared. And, uh, but also, it was a horrible. Honestly, I my whole life I hated that. I hated him for that story. I always yeah. sided with you until you said he did a bunch of cola, and then I was like, oh. then I kind of sided with him when he just described my going did a bunch of. <laughs> he did do some. He did Gross. some bug sugar. He did a whole, <laughs> he did a whole eight ball. He never done it, and then he goes, and then I went to kill him. I'm like, I don't. Does coke really make you do that? Like, I can see get not getting hungry or you know whatever the people do, or, but he immediately must kill Spade like. <laughs> Talk about a bad batch of coke, my God. <laughs> All right, go ahead. This part. Horrible. This part. Okay. Sorry. Well, uh, okay, this is from V. Can you talk about your work experience on King, M, Kingdom of the Sun before it became Empire's New Groove? Jesus. I understand. Emperor's New Groove? What's that? Emperor's New Groove? The movie I did? Oh, Emperor's New Groove. Jeez. I understand Owen Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Owen Wilson was in it. Well, they said King of the Sun, so I thought of Empire of the Sun, that movie from... Sure. I, I understand Owen Wilson originally recorded the role of Pacha with you. Pacha, yes. Uh, Emperor's New Groove is a, is a movie, uh, an animated movie for Disney that I love and that I get a lot of nice comments on over the years. It wasn't one of the big ones like Shrek or those kind of movies, but it was well-received and the people that like it really like it. It was first... Prince and the Pauper, me and Owen Wilson flipping, and uh, we did a year and a half of recording, and then Michael Eisner saw like an animatic after all that time and goes, I don't like it, get rid of everyone but Spade, and keep him sarcastic, whatever, but do something else, and they go, what if he turns into a llama? And he goes, yeah, do that. <laughs> That's how crazy, and then we did, all, I go, what am I now? And I go, I turned into a llama? And they go, yeah, yeah, and they wrote up, and we did another year and a half, and I was getting irritated at the end, going, I can't keep doing voices. This is never ending. Because they don't pay you anything. So I just kept going in, going in. I go, I don't know. And then I saw it, and I go, oh, my God, this is funny. I love it. So it was a good uh, experience. Your work in Light Slepper, no, Light Sleeper, <laughs> was, uh, was wonderful. Yeah. Would you consider taking up a dramatic movie role in the near future? If so, anything specific stand out as a particular movie idea? No, I you mean, get off at any of those or no? No, I don't. That's why. I mean, that's the thing. I think I play things so sort of straight that it wouldn't be that hard to switch. I would like to do some bad guy thing, but uh, it, it's always like whatever you do and that works, they just get you for the next one. 
People go, why don't you do this or that? It's just because no one wants you to. If, if they did, I would do it, but it's very hard to get them, unless you're like, get to Sandler or Ben Stiller where you get so big, you pick whatever you want. But if not, you just have to keep doing the same thing, obviously, um, every uh, time you do something. Hmm. In Lost and Found, you did some oh. great dance moves. Yes. Amazing singing skills while performing Neil Diamond's Brother Loves Traveling Salvation Show. Yeah. Can it show us a little step or two? I don't. I don't. If you need a backup dancer, I'm your girl, not me. Oh. <laughs> I, I remember doing that. It was very hard to sing it and learn it and do it. It was embarrassing. And uh, they really auto-tuned me. I think that's how they invented auto-tune. They had a guy come in. Dave Spade is... Yeah, because it was so bad. But it was fun. I can't do it because I don't remember. But uh, I just ran on the stage. You and Artie together? Artie did not do that one. Artie Lang. No, no. I thought he was in that movie, though. He was, but that was, that was uh, my own thing. In that All right, fine. I meant... <laughs> what do you think about social media in the comedy industry? <laughs> You're like... Uh, so I, get I guess it helps. I mean, it's, it's, it's another outlet to do jokes and stuff. Some people are they're finding out they're funny when they do Twitter and stuff. It is hard to do. It's hard to be funny all the time on those things. Well, you're hilarious in the book talking about social media. Oh, I am? Yeah. All the stuff about Instagram and just the nuances. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of funny shit in there on that. <laughs> um, oh, and after I started cursing, from B, your niece. What age did you know that you wanted to be a comedian? Hello, B. Um, uh, you know what? It took a long time. I liked uh, being funny, and I liked watching funny things. When you're a kid, you know, I like everything funny. I listened to Steve Martin albums. I listened to Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy. And then when I got older, uh, I think it wasn't until those talent shows that I thought comedy was fun, sketches were fun. And then when everyone left to go to college, I went to that comedy. I saw a comedy, Barry Sobel. I saw a comedian do an hour. Couldn't believe it. I was like, this is the thing. It's so good. If I could do this, so fun to laugh my head off for an hour. So it probably wasn't until, um, you know, 18. Okay. How about... 18, B. All right, what about this? Hmm. I don't know if you're supposed to decide. Like I did decide. Oh, here's a deep one. What is the one thing you know? Wait, save that for the end. <laughs> Who will win the World Series? Is that it? That's the question? No, that's not the last one. The last one is what's the one thing oh, you yeah, know? Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, I'll save that for the end. Mets? Yeah. What will your next book be about? Your next book? Oh, my God. Obviously, I'm out of stories because I told you that one backstage you hate. Yeah. Um, He's told us like three stories tonight that were great that weren't in the book, by the way. Oh, yeah. And then Letterman, they offered me his job. and <laughs> I, I don't know. I'd have to. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. Just All right. Me. Great. Who do you want to interview and why? You want to interview and why? Do you want me to say you? <laughs> no. Oh. I thought that was no, your No, I think we had that chance when I put my book out and I asked him. He was busy. No, no, no. Shut up. The coloring book. Ready? Oh, now let's get to the last question. This okay. is a good one. Yeah. What is the one thing you know? It sounds like you've heard it before, maybe minutes ago. What is the one thing? What is the know? one thing you know? God, that's horrible. I know, that's a horrible question. It's too big. It's too I, big. I did hear a line in a song the other day I thought was good. It was uh, Carly oh. Simon, These Are the Good Old Days. That's a not, that was just out of nowhere I heard, and I thought that is true. 
because you always go, remember the good old days, but you're actually living them, and then later you say those are the good old days. So you have to sort of be aware that to have your fun as you're doing it, right? Mm. Um, no. <laughs> um, no. I guess we all knew we were in trouble when you said, you know, I heard a Carly song yeah. the other day. And it wasn't a song that we don't all know. It's not like, oh, it's not some obscure... Sorry, I don't, Sorry, know, I don't have any quotes from I don't know. But, um, yeah, the book is... The book is hilarious. I mean, the book is, uh, is so funny. I mean, I was laughing, though, because the good thing about it is, whenever you see it, like, you wrote the way you speak. Like, there's just a lot of, like, like he's, you know, he abbreviates everything in real life, the way you talk. You know, I mean, you're, you know, yeah, you're doing, known... Yeah. Thank you, because doing the audiobook was more fun because you can sort of get into the stories so uh you can because when you write you don't know how to go good days you know like you're adding noises and stuff when you talk so i go oh how would i do that one so you just hope people sort of guess but when you do the audio one it was hard to do but i mean they're like so i get to do the whole thing so you're telling everybody they just bought the book and you want them to promote the fucking audio (laughs) i don't know i haven't done this before but yeah i'm learning i'm gonna learn (laughs) what say what it but you're great, and like I say, all the comedians, love, everybody loves you because you're so brilliant and uh, very underrated, very, well, under, you know, well, very low-key brilliant. So I appreciate one of my favorite comics coming to do that. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, buddy. Great. Thank you. Can we go back there? Thanks for listening. 92Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations on 92iondemand.org.